Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. We redesigned Entree Architect Academy, our private online membership program, to better meet your needs with more options and less cost. Build a better business. Be a better architect. To learn more, visit the homepage at entrearchitect.com. This is Entree Architect Podcast, and you're listening to episode 167. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Another inspiring story this week here at Entree Architect Podcast. This one from an architect turned accidental entrepreneur. He turned an important need for managing the finances at his own small firm into a basic software tool to solve that problem. He then shared that creation with a few colleagues and then formed a small company to help sell it to to others. And then eventually, he sold that small company to a large company, a large software company, where today, it's offered to architects throughout the world. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, for architects, by architects, the story behind ArchiOffice with entrepreneur architect, Stephen Burns. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks 
NCARB, BQE Software, and RCAT. FreshBooks, get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. And NCARB, helping architects reach their career goals. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash NCARB. And BQE Software, the makers of ArchiOffice, office and project management software designed specifically for architects. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash BQE. And RCAT, the leading online resource for free building product information. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. Stephen Burns, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark R. LePage. Great to be here. <laughs> it's good to have you here. Stephen is an architect based in Los Angeles, California. He's the creator of ArchiOffice Project Management Software, which is a very inspiring and interesting story, uh, which we'll definitely get into a little bit. Uh, currently the Chief Creative Officer of BQE Software, which is the makers of ArchiOffice. Um, and as you've heard in the intro, and, and you'll hear a little bit later, BQE is our newest platform sponsor. So Stephen, thank you very much for sponsoring the show and, and supporting Entree Architect. I appreciate that. Our pleasure. Uh, Stephen's been a friend for a long time here at Entree Architect. He's done uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, content for us. He's written articles for the blog, and he's actually he was one of the contributors to my original uh, Entree Architect Academy blog series back in 2013. I had just recently relaunched as EntreeArchitect.com uh, and went from a personal blog to a platform for small firms. So I, I created this blog series in 2013. You can actually find it at EntreeArchitect.com slash academy dash blog dash series. It's sort of a secret link that nobody knows about. It's all there. Um, and he did a three-part series within that series for financial management, which is, uh, which is great. And then we use that information as inspiration for the, the course that we give away uh, to, to members of Entree Architect to learn how to build better uh, businesses and be more profitable. And, uh, and that's that free course that we give away in the beginning of the course, uh, beginning of the podcast. Uh, Steve has also be a, been a fellow juror on the Charette Venture Group business plan competition, which this year they're not doing. They're doing other promotional activities, but uh, that was fun. Uh, and Stephen, I can't believe that it's taken us this long, four years or so, to get you here on the podcast. Yeah, well, it, it's um, last time um, you had uh, maybe one more hair on your head back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Every day I lose a few more. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, but I, I appreciate you here. Uh, I would love to start with your personal story, your, your origin story. Uh, you're an architect, but you're now a creative chief creative officer at BQE. I'd love to know what inspired you to become an architect, what, what sort of got you into the profession in the first place, and then what led you in, to where you are today? Yeah, I guess um, my entire career path has been led by a series of accidents. Um, and you know what's interesting is uh, when we talked because uh, I remember when we were we were jurors on on the business plan competition. There were some people who were projecting out ten years into the future, <laughs> right. and uh, as someone who started a number of businesses, uh, I realized if you can go beyond three years, uh, you know, it's, it's a pipe dream basically. So uh, you know you can't project where you're going to be in the future. So so I was in college studying fine art. My 
my dream was to be a sculptor. And so I majored in sculpture at uh, Syracuse University. Do you, and do you still sculpt? Uh, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so I was a senior and I had a senior show and my work was really enormous. It, um, they were basically installations, room installations. And just by accident, some woman had come up to me uh, at the opening of uh, my show. And I didn't know who she was, but she said, what, do I, what am I doing after school? And I was half joking when I said I was going to be a waiter at Phoebe's restaurant in town, <laughs> and, and which was kind of like the nice restaurant in town. And, and she said, well, you really should consider studying architecture. And I don't think it was a serious uh, consideration of mine before that, but I thought maybe... Maybe that's a good way to delay being a waiter, um, <laughs> and and maybe it would help inform my sculpture. But the the ultimate dream for me was to end up, you know, on a mountain in Colorado somewhere, uh, being not a hippie, but but sort of living that that simple lifestyle. And so I I, I went off. Um, I ended up at MIT in the graduate program uh, for architecture, and I honestly was very unhappy there. Um, it was a, a program that didn't suit me, but I went because I had been given a scholarship and uh, and I didn't get into my first choice, uh, which was Harvard. So uh, I was in school and, and this is actually a really good lesson um, because when I applied to grad school, uh, you have to fill out. There's a lot of essay work, right? And uh, I was dating a girl who was an English major and I'm not maybe maybe things have changed maybe my 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 blogs aren't uh very uh well well written but uh i was a terrible writer back then so she was taking my thoughts and writing them and editing them and re-editing them and and i went back while i was at mit and i reread my application to to grad school and i realized that wasn't who i was it was something completely different and so I went up to Harvard, I got a fresh application, and these were the days where we didn't have computers, but there were typewriters. So I took the application, went to the library at MIT, and just stuck it in the typewriter, and just typed straight. Uh, I figured I had nothing to lose, yeah. because I was already in grad school. The worst case scenario is I, w I wouldn't get accepted. That was the only school I was applying to. And uh, if I didn't get accepted, I'll just suffer through, through MIT. But I wrote from the heart, and it was filled with little typos. I used a little whiteout. Uh, I know your younger audience probably doesn't know about that. Although the whiteout pens are great for drawing, I got to yeah, tell you that yeah. much. So I, I ended up getting accepted. So I had to start all over again. So I took a three and a half year program and I turned it into a four and a half year program. And I loved being uh, at the Graduate School of Design. Every minute of it was fantastic. Um, my classmates were great. The experience was great. And uh, after that, uh, I kind of had forgotten about sculpture. I was I was born again as an architect and uh, went off after graduation, started my career at SOM in Chicago, and I <laughs> I had a um, another happy accident, I guess, because we were I think 1,400 people in the Chicago office at that time, so it was pretty big, and um, this is a great story actually. Uh, there was a woman who sat across from me in the studio and really what it was was we were all still drafting tables but there was one computer at the end of each of these long drafting tables. So I was just on a drafting table and I was looking across at this woman who was also in our studio and someone had sent her a, a flower arrangement for her birthday and the flowers died and so she took the flowers and threw them away but there was this bowl that just sat in front of us between the two of us. and. 
I saw it there all morning. I decided at lunch I'm going to go out to State Street onto Woolworths and go get some goldfish and put it in there. <laughs> so, so I go to Woolworths. I get two goldfish. I put them in the little fish bowl, and it looked so nice. And people came by and said that was kind of nice. So the next day I went back out to Woolworths and I bought one of those. I don't know where they are. Ten gallon aquarium. Yeah. And got some colored sand and a diver Dan and a, a filter and you know and then I bought um, 13 more fish because we had 14 partners and I have to be honest one of the goldfish did die the, the first day so <laughs> so I had one goldfish so I went out and I bought at the because Woolworths had this fantastic pet section on State Street so I got um, all these different fish and I put them in the 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 tank at the office and a sign said, please don't feed the partners. And I had been at SOM at that point for maybe three months. And uh, so there were 14 fish, each representing one of the partners. Like we had one female partner at the time and that was the goldfish. And they all had their own kind of idiosyncratic um, look. And everybody started coming by. Even the partners started coming by. So within three months, every partner at SOM knew me. And uh, that was kind of a, another happenstance. I did, yeah. you know, had planned on it. I was just having some fun. Anyway, uh, Bruce Graham, who was the senior partner, kind of took a, um, an interest in me and gave me some great opportunities. Uh, but I never would have met him really otherwise, had uh, certainly not that soon. So he kind of helped me make my career pretty quickly at, at SOM. I had really wonderful opportunities, ended up living in London for a year and then Berlin for uh, just shy of two years. And uh, uh, anyway, cut that story short. I think we, I may, was, uh, we may see dozens of fish tanks all across the United States and globally throughout architecture firms from now on. That would be great for <laughs> the fish and for the, uh, the people doing that. Um, so uh, Anyway, I was, um, my wife and I were living in Berlin, Germany, working for SOM, and we were about to have our first child, and we had to make a big career decision whether I was going to stay at SOM or, you know, if I ever had the hopes of opening my own office, uh, would we do it? And I figured it's probably easier to do it before I have real, you know, children and that kind of responsibility, so let's, let's go do that. So we moved back to Chicago. I put in my resignation and uh, opened an office just by myself uh, without really any foresight or planning and no business plan, nothing written. Yeah. You know, everything against the, the rules that Mark Arlapage <laughs> says one really needs to do to have a successful business. How, how old were you when you did that? Uh, this would be um, 1993, 35. Okay. No, 37. Yeah. I was born in 58. I can't do the math. So uh, anyway, uh, that was 1993. So um, I was alone for a month. I had one project, you know, simple residential project, and I was alone for a month. And I realized I'm really not good alone. I, I um, like being in a team of people. And I kind of missed that. So I called on a uh, friend of mine who worked at a mid-sized firm in, in Chicago, and uh, he had been there for nine years. And I asked him, you know, what his plans were for the future. And would he be interested in joining me as a partner? So we, we had a big, long lunch, talked about it. He talked to his, his wife, and who, who was also an architect at SOM. That's how I knew him. And he said, yeah, let's do it. So we uh, 
formalized a business, a partnership. You know, I had a lawyer and we, we drew up a partnership agreement and uh, became a, an S Corp, actually, and, and uh, opened an office and just the two of us. And so we were very um, frugal and we found a great little space for very little money in downtown Chicago and built it out, you know, by ourselves, built our own furniture and that kind of stuff. Uh, then we hired a guy. That was the really biggest decision we had ever made at that point. Yeah. Uh, bigger than signing a lease is now we realize we're responsible to feed this this person. That first employee, I think, is maybe one of the toughest decisions every small firm architect has to make. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're really responsible at that point. But prior to that is, you know, you took draws, you know, of the, from the business to pay yourself right. uh, when you could. But now you have to really make sure you make enough money month by month to not just pay those small bills that we had at the time, but pay this guy. And because we're he, he committed to us. He left a job to be with us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So but I guess once you break the ice, then each other each time after that, it gets exactly a little bit right. Easier, right. Yeah. Yeah, so eventually we, we then hired two people. You know, but in the long run, um, I sold the firm in 2007. So I was there for 14 years. Uh, we had 17 architects when I sold it. So we were still a small a small firm, but Did a real family. Were you still partners at that time? Yeah, we were. Yeah. We uh, Gary and I were still the founding partners. Those two original employees that I talked about, uh, they each owned eight um, percent of the business, which uh, we were compelled to do within a few years because um, we needed to retain them. They were, they were important and uh, which was also an interesting lesson is we didn't think they had the, the chops to be partner material. They were great at their jobs, but uh, you know, we were bringing in the business and we were the front facing people of the firm. But what I learned was, you know, the minute you bring them into the club, they grew up really quickly. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, on one hand, it proved to their own families and that that they are a partner in a firm and then they acted very differently. Uh, they they rose to the occasion really well. I was very proud of the, the, the two of them. So that was a good decision to make those two people partners. It was. Yeah. Absolutely. It was, uh, you know, it, for us financially, you know, we had to make a, a good deal to them to make them be able to afford into the partner in the partnership and uh there was never any resentment on our part, but uh, I think everybody ended up being happy. Although I think they would have wished to have more equal partnership mm -hmm. uh, as time grew on. Uh, what ended up happening is I ended up selling each of them. They bought each, each of them bought out my halves of the business when I decided I wanted to leave and pursue a career in, in software. But I, I think it's just a good lesson is, you know, if you pick the right people, it's like the right partner in life. You know, you, you pick the right person, your yeah. life is enriched. And you let them do what they do well and give them enough room to grow. And, you know, make, we made them partners when we needed to and they wanted it. And it worked out well. Did you feel that those two people were, were the right people at the time? Or were you do, making that decision out of fear of losing them and it just worked out? For one of them, I didn't want to lose him. He was... Uh, he had a skill set that would have been missed very much. Uh, the other one... Uh, she was uh, very talented and capable, and um, I, I, I thought she probably would open her own office. And I thought it would be, uh, it's oftentimes great to sort of inherit an office, right? Somebody's already got systems in right. place. And, and actually, this is another thing, is when we hired her, 
she she was our uh, uh, she was number three in the company at that point. Uh, uh, we had three people. She was the number fourth, the fourth person in the company. And she looked around and she was like, "This is the worst materials <laughs> library I've ever seen. There's no product literature here. I mean, we had like uh, uh, you know a, a two feet of shelf space, right?" And the next thing we knew, she never even asked for permission. She was just calling in vendors and product literature. And and we had to build a whole room just for all the the supplies and materials she was bringing in. So it really demonstrated uh, that this person had the the gumption to to take on things and do things the way she wanted to. So I was always not concerned about her. But the the real surprise was the, the other guy who ended up being a wonderful partner and, uh, a uh, different, different type of partner, you know, it was, you know, that's another thing is your partners should not be you. They should be to fill in the spaces that right, you are. Right. So, yeah. You should yeah. know your strengths and, and hire your weaknesses. Exactly. Right. Would, would, um, would you have done it the same way today? If you, if you knowing what you know now and knowing what, what had happened with the firm, would you have still made those decisions? I would like to say I am wiser today and I, before I, had done anything, I, I would have at least written an executive summary type business yeah. plan about why I am doing this and what I'm hoping to achieve with this business and you know where I'd like to go with it as opposed to just having it tucked away somewhere in the back of my mind. But I also know me um, and I am, um, I'm, I'm often, the, I'm, I'm, I'm more uh, spontaneous. So uh, I probably would, I probably, and actually, no, I'm, act, I'm actually working on some things right now and, uh, you haven't changed. I, I, I I'm falling <laughs> into that same trap, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it works, you know, so it doesn't always, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so go on. I just, I, um, I wanted to, cause I think, I think hiring those first people and then making the decision to make those people partners those are huge decisions early on in, in your in your career, uh, because especially when you become when they become partners, that's a long term commitment on both parts. And so I think making that first decision to hire somebody is one thing, but then to to take on partners and and having to go through all of that negotiation and how much do you give and how little mm-hmm. do you give and and all of the the emotional pieces that go along with all that, it's a very big. Uh, decision that a lot of architects are very afraid of doing. You know, sole practitioners are, are afraid of doing that, and maybe you know, partners that that are two partners like you had um, taking on additional partners. There's a lot of fear in that. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I, we were we didn't want to lose control, so we made sure that uh, the founding partners we both retained control, but we gave them enough that it wasn't insignificant. Um, but enough to make them feel they were owners of a company and yeah. they would get a, a reasonable dividend, uh, you know, each year for that, for that investment. Uh, but, you know, ultimately the two of us still controlled the decisions that were being, being made. But there is something to be said to making people feel ownership in something that a paycheck is nice and you can compensate them highly if you're capable of doing that. But they're, their uh, their affiliation or their um, commitment to you in the long term is much more fragile if they don't have ownership. Yeah, you know, I guess it's like this—you know, this golden handcuff or whatever they refer to that as. 
Well, you had mentioned uh, you had mentioned that one of the first things you said is that their their whole personality changed. That the yeah. that the way they looked at their job and the firm was a completely different perspective from their point of view and from your point of view. They started dressing differently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. lots of advantages to, to to making that decision if you find the right person. Uh, you know, pulling the trigger on something like that with the wrong person could be disastrous. Oh well. Obviously, that's always going to be the case in life, yeah. right? Yeah, picking the right people. I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, with my wife, I you know it was a perfect pick. Uh, with my partner, it was it was perfect. And our partners after that, it was it was perfect. I also have a very strong feeling about people who you pick who you know aren't right because uh, I've had that where we've hired some people in our office. Um, I mean, over the years, we probably hired some forty people. Um, and some stick and some don't stick. But here's a lesson I learned, which is the moment you get a feeling that somebody's not right, either the skill isn't right or they don't fit in the culture that you're trying to maintain or create, you need to let that person go. It's often, for small firms especially, it's hard to, yeah. uh, because you've got deadlines and there's not enough, you know, whatever, and you feel like if that person's gone, then I gotta do it myself or we're gonna, or we're gonna have to find somebody and get them up to speed. And that's a lot of effort. And so they really delay getting rid of the bad apple. Uh, but because we've had a number of bad apples that we brought brought in over the years to, to work at the company, um, one thing that was consistent is the minute you did finally let them go, everything got better. On the both, on both of, sides. Well, I didn't keep up with them yeah, but to that, know whether their I've lives... Seen, I've seen that happen in my own firm, and I've heard that with others, is that very often that situation where it's just not the right fit and there's a struggle happening, that not only is there's a weight lifted from your shoulders as the employer, but even the person that you let go realizes that that wasn't really a good fit, and they go move on to, and find the place where their strengths really do thrive. Sure. I, I, I would hope that would be the case. I... Honestly, I just haven't followed with those people, but you know, it's eventually like any breakup. You hope that people move on to something that's a better suited for them. But I do know from staying within our firm that the people had like a big sigh of relief that that person was gone. They all knew it was it was not a good thing. And so why why wait six months or a year to do that? Do it and yeah. get the pain over with and get get on with it. Now, very often in small firms, not only in addition to all the things that you said that make it difficult. But those people become friends, you know, that they in, when you only have a few people in the firm, you, you start building personal relationships with a lot of these people. Um, and it makes that makes it even harder because it's hard to fire a friend or disappoint somebody that you're, you know, that you're that you're personally connected with. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAT, FreshBooks and Carb and BQE Software. You already know all about RCAT and their free BIM objects and their CAD details and their specifications and product information, all free, ready for you to use. Well, today I wanna to share something new from RCAT. It's called Charette. Charette is a tool for sharing and collaborating with your colleagues and clients online in real time. You can upload photos and files, share specs and product information directly from the RCAT database, as well as from other sources on the internet. I've been playing with Charette in beta for a while now, and it's really cool. And now it's available to you. I encourage you to go check it out. Visit RCAT online and click the Charette icon right there on the homepage. 
And like everything offered at RCAT, Charette is a free tool for us small firm architects too. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. 192 hours. You wish you had that much free time? That works out to about two business days every month. And when you're a small firm architect using FreshBooks cloud accounting software, that's the amount of administration time that you could save in 2017. That's time that you can spend doing the things you love, like being an architect. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access FreshBooks for free. And be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Do you know someone in your firm who's always dreamed of getting licensed, but was unable to complete the experience requirements? Well, maybe that person's you. Now you can get back on track with NCARB's new AXP portfolio. With this option, seasoned professionals can complete the Architectural Experience Program, the AXP, formerly known as the IDP, by submitting an online portfolio. Along with meeting your state's education and examination requirements, the portfolio will help you and your employees get one step closer to becoming a licensed architect. Learn more about NCARB's AXP portfolio at entrearchitect.com slash NCARB. One of the most often requested resources here at Entree Architect is project management software. How do we keep our projects and our people organized while we grow as entrepreneur architects? BQE Software, an AIA Advantage partner and the makers of ArchiOffice will show us how. ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects. It will help us manage people and projects and allow us to focus on designing great architecture. Whether you're working remotely or on site, ArchiOffice allows you to monitor the status of your projects and tasks and send out invoices in an accurate and timely manner. Entree Architect podcast listeners can get a fully functional 15-day trial of ArchiOffice today at entrearchitect.com slash BQE. RCAT, FreshBooks, NCARB, and BQE Software. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So, so you, so you decided to sell, and you sell out to your to your partners. And so, what what's the next step from there? Where did you go? And and why did you do that? Why did you decide? Yeah, to, to yeah. Make well, that okay. Change? Yeah. So that's the backstory to ArchiOffice. Uh, you know, our our business software. Um, so I opened the office in 1993, and in about 1995, uh, we had about five employees then, and and I was not happy running a business. I was finding that owning a business was taking me away from doing what I loved, what I did best. And, you know, I'm a designer at heart. And so I realized that all the time I was spent running the business uh, could be done better. I just needed to design a better system to do that. So it was, a, again, not something I wrote down. Uh, I said, well, I'm going to design software to run my business. I didn't know the first thing about software. Yeah. 
but uh, I started to uh, I bought FileMaker Pro, which was a Mac based at the time. I think actually it was cross platform, but it was owned by Apple, quietly owned by Apple. And and I was a Mac guy, and so it was a very easy to use scripting language to build you know simple solutions to solve some problems rather than like using Excel spreadsheets. So I got hooked on that. And I, what I would do is I would set a, a task to take care of and I'd go home at the end of the day and I would work and mark literally for three years till three or four every morning. I worked 365 days a year. It was an addiction. Yeah, uh, building. It was a passion, right? It was, but my wife called it an addiction. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. There's a uh, fine line. <laughs> I suppose. Maybe addictions are not healthy. Passions are, supposedly. Um, but, yeah, every day I would go home and I would, you know, have these new things to build and I'd bring them into the office the next day and people would say, that's great. Can you make it do this? And then I'd go home and I would do that over and over and over again. So at the end of three years, we had this system in my office, which we called ArchiOffice Pro, only because it ran under FileMaker Pro, right? <laughs> and uh, it was running everything in the office, uh, much more than what the commercial version of ArchiOffice does today. It was phenomenal. And we had, and so this is now three years later, so we had about 14 employees. And I remember uh, the newest employee called his old, his old boss, who uh, he said, he told him, you know, hey, you were always looking for something to manage your office, some software. These guys use this stuff. It, it does everything. So his old boss called me up, introduced himself to me, and and he wanted to know about it. So I had him come down to our office, and he was actually a competitor of ours. When we would go out interviewing for jobs, uh, which was the high-end single-family residential market in the North Shore of Chicago predominantly, or downtown Chicago as well, Chicago. So uh, we would invariably go up against him. But, you know, it's like a baby or a building. You're so proud of it, you want to show it to anybody, right? So he came in and he looked at what we were doing and he was like, can I buy this? And uh, that's the first moment that that light bulb clicked in my, that, oh, right. this might be a value to somebody else. It was not, it was really for me. So I said, give me three months, let me clean it up and let's put it in your office and see what happens. So I kind of stripped out all of our own data from in it. I kind of gave him a nice virgin database, brought it into his office, trained him on it, and, and uh, let him go for a year. And at the end of that year, we, we said we would get together and kind of assess how things were going. So you get, did you give it to him for free? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It was so all put in there so for you free. Just and cleaned it up and gave it to him sort of as a beta and see, see how it works. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. You know, I would go up to his office you know, every so often and work with them. But uh, at the end of the year, he said, hey, can I invest in this and can we make this a commercial product? And so that was the moment really when I got my life back because if it's going to be a commercial product, yeah. I'm not going to be the developer of it. It needs, has to meet a higher standard. I'm not educated as formally as a software programmer. So we, we put our monies together and uh, hired a real development team. I ended up finding a team in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, and I did that purposely because uh, they came to work at about 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon Chicago time. So I could run the business normally, you know, be an architect, play architect by day and play software developer by night. Right. So, you know, I would meet with those guys, you know, three to four days a week uh, in the afternoons, late afternoons or early evenings, uh, review the progress. But after a couple of years, they uh, had the version ready. It Basically, it cost me twice as much money. 
and took twice as long as uh, which which I was told is is absolutely standard in yeah. <laughs> software development, at least at the time. So but I said, no, 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 these guys are great. They can do it on budget and on time. That's what they tell me. But it took twice as much time and twice as much money. Uh, but we made it a commercial product uh, in April of 2004. And that was the year that the AIA had the convention in Chicago, which was our backyard. And I you know, spent money to take a booth. You know, it was a big commitment for us at the time because we yeah. really had no revenue and, and uh, uh, launched Archie Office there. So uh, by December of 2006, we had 500 firms using it uh, already. And it was serious. So, how did you get I, the, the word out? How did you market it? Was because it, it wasn't all from the convention, right? Well, uh, the convention was really great because yeah. there wasn't a lot of technology going on back then in the in the in the space, and um, there was a lot of activity. I think the way the AIA ran the national convention back in those days, there was a lot more time for people to be in the expo. Today, it's a little more difficult. But uh, there was that. Then there was a forum uh, called. Architosh, I believe that's what it was called. So it was an architect, arch, architects Macintosh user forum. Yeah, I think that and, still exists. Yeah, yeah. And, and so they got the word about us even before we launched. Uh, uh, we, I kind of put the website up, and somehow they came across it, and they started promoting us a little bit. So we got some exposure that way. Yeah. But uh, it was really word of mouth um, between them and. We didn't have money for real marketing. Um, we did the, the trade show. After that, I would do small uh, small advertising in the AIA um, local publications in Chicago. You know, you used to take out like a little eighth of a page ad, which grew to a quarter page ad, to a half page ad, to eventually full page ads. Right. Uh, that was the days when they would send it as a printed magazine and to to all the membership. And you said you had about five hundred subscribers or. Yes. Yeah, so back in those days, it was a, um, a purchase. You purchased the license, and by the end of 2006, we had over 500 firms. And you you realize, like hiring that first employee, you're really responsible because these people they're they're running their businesses, uh, you know, on your platform. So uh, what I did is I I hired a management consultancy to look at this business and make a recommendation. My expectation was that they were going to suggest. Why don't we bring in a CEO? Why don't we just sell this and let somebody take it somewhere? Because I love being an architect. I love my firm and, and all. But they spent three months. They talked to a lot of our customers. They looked at the marketplace. And they, they actually made a, a recommendation, which I didn't expect. No different than that woman <laughs> you know, with the, told me, go study architecture. Right. You know, they said, you know, we think this is a great opportunity for you to... Um, move full time into software development. <laughs> You're like, whoa, that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted you to take this off my hands so I can go back to being an, ar an architect. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was uh, stunned by that. And I, but I was also, uh, I think it was approaching 50. So I, um, I, I, I like thinking of my life as chapters. Yeah. And, you know, I had my own firm for 14 years. I was at SOM for seven years. And, you know, I thought, well, I was an architect in Chicago, which is a pretty tr conservative, in the, certainly in the residential market, which is really where we focused. We yeah. were uh, 
high-end single-family resi- residential, some restaurants, boutique hotels, but mostly that kind of project, project those types of projects, were not uh, in a flat environment like Chicago, weren't that challenging. The clients, the, the programs, everything was pretty much, it was almost like um, Groundhog Day. Yeah, you know? yep. Just, you Designing know, the, the names same are project di- over and over again. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the names are different, but the projects are pretty much similar. And so I thought, wow, that's different. So my wife and I talked about it and we said, uh, yeah, let's go do this. So first we talked about, okay, do we take sort of a sabbatical? You know, do you, do you, uh, take a leave of absence from the architecture firm or, or maybe put 5% of your time in the architecture firm and 95% of your time, uh, into the software. But I, I, as I mentioned, I kind of just rush into things without much thought. And I said, no, if you're going to make this successful, you have to go into it 100%. You got to close the door here. I don't want to have a safety net. I don't want to have a back door that I can, I can escape to if yep. things get tough, right? So I'm you jumped off to... the cliff. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. So no turning that back. Was, pardon me? No turning no, back when you jump off no the cliff. There was no turning back. Right. Yeah. No turning back. So, um, that was also, by the way, you talked about earlier about bringing in partners. Um, this was now the, the next big thing was, well, if I'm going to s- sell my portion of the firm, you know, it's the, the valuation of this firm right now. Now, we had a lot of this mapped out in our buy-sell agreements that we had worked with when we created this uh, company. You know, but they talk about three different methods of valuation. And, of course, it costs money to, you know, get people to value your company. And so we went through this process uh, then we kind of, the, the partnership, we all discussed it, kind of get a little bit heated at times. It wasn't always an, uh, a friendly discussion, yeah. but we were all good friends and we worked our way through it. Well, In the end, what was, we, the, what was the, the basis of the evaluation? Well, it is some valuations brought us much higher valuations. Yeah. Others were, you know, it wasn't like um, they were all within 5% of each other, right? They, they were significant so in the end, we just said, you know, why don't we just take the three of them and average it, right? And just end up that yeah, way. Yeah. So uh, we have said that will be the way we'll do it. And uh, that's how uh, we ended up coming up with what it would cost them to buy me out. And that was great. I had a great goodbye party. And then the next day, I started at work in my new office as a software developer. So, you know, we go from an office of you know, 17 architects, a couple of staff, you know, just under 20 people to, um, what was four of us. Okay. So, uh, and was your original partner in, in Archie office, the, the other architect who invested in it, was he still part of it? He was absolutely still part of that. Um, as was, um, my original business partner at my architectural firm, Burns and Barrel Architects. So, you know, Gary Barrel was still a part, he was still an owner in the software business and uh, he was an owner in that business, but I was no longer an owner in his business. Yeah, right? yeah. So, uh, but I, I had a salesperson, a marketing person, and a, uh, like we call it a COO, uh, who took care of it. And then I really um, worked with the development team in Australia, in, in Melbourne. And kind of, I guess I was CEO, but uh, that's a highfalutin term for a four-person company. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, Think about it. This was 2007 that we did this. So in, um, I think it was June of 2007, I left my architectural firm, took all of my money from that sale, 
and put it straight into a software business. So what's coming around the corner? <laughs> the end of the world. The end of the world came. <laughs> yeah, that day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so what we had was uh, we, 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 we decided with the, with the advice of the management consultants, if we're going to move this to a real next generation thing, we have to leave FileMaker. You know, it, was, it wasn't a great, it's a great solution for people to build their own, but as a independent software vendor, it's not a great platform because, you know, you're constantly updating your software and distributing those updates was very difficult. So we had done some research into what was the next platform and made that decision and that commitment, and it was an extremely expensive investment. So uh, that's what we that's what we did. Uh, and that was all that money was being invested at the same time that the economy was crumbling. And next thing I knew is architects weren't buying software. They were laying off staff yeah. or if they owned, you know, our software and they had like eight seats of it. Now they needed to only renew three seats next year. So a lot of the recurring revenue uh, was dropping off. Uh, so we, we were really kind of hemorrhaging. I got to be honest with you, Mark. It was the most stressful time in my life. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, uh, you know, thinking oh, I should have left that back door in place, right? And the architecture firm, which you know, I'm still close to my old partners. I'm I'm their, I'm their landlord, frankly. So so you know, we're very close. Uh, uh, they they went down to about uh, twelve architects, so it didn't get that that bad. Because you know, frankly, single family residential to somebody always getting rich in a bad economy. Right. And they're going to high end. It slowed down, but it didn't stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. But uh, it was very, very stressful. Um, we were very close to shutting down the company. Um, and what year did you, was that decision? 2009. Okay, so yeah. we were preparing to really close the company in 2009. Uh, my wife and I said, we're not going to pour any more money into this. Uh, and uh, so the management consultants were basically working with me on how do you shut down an enterprise like this? You know, we were going to release the code to all of the users and say, you know, good yeah. luck with it. Yeah. Right. You can use it, it, you know, forever. It's yours. It's yours. And you had, you had fully developed it and relaunched it. And right. So you had a, full, no, no. So, so, so they were, were still, still in development. You know, they were still using the FileMaker pro okay, solution. We were uh, probably still a year away from um, the new platform, the new, the next, you know, yeah, platform. which made that so, even worse. Yeah, so all that money would have been just thrown away entirely. But so it was it was um, April or May of 2009. That was the year um, uh, became a fellow at the College of Fellows of the AIA. And so when you go to the convention, which I always did the conventions for every year, you know, I'm always at the booth. You have, uh, you know, you're on the, the, the floor three days straight talking nonstop. But that year, because of the commitments you have in the, the fellowship thing, I was away from the booth a lot. And I was going to go out with a bang. So we had we had actually purchased three booth slots. You know, <laughs> we had uh, uh, a 30-foot booth. And it was my, my last gasp uh, yeah. to see what we could do with this. We had actually brought in the, the Volkswagen bug with the jet engine in it. You know that story <laughs> at all? You know? No. There, I saw on David Letterman there was this Volkswagen Beetle uh, this guy put a, a jet engine, a helicopter jet engine in the back of that thing. And he took it out to a, a, a runway somewhere in California and with David uh, Letterman. And they ran this thing. It was fantastic. Yeah. So, so 
I, I, I called the guy up. I found out who he was online and I said, hey, I, I love the idea of a, of a Volkswagen Bug because it's the simplest thing. Everybody can drive a Volkswagen Bug, but it had the power of a jet. And that's <laughs> the way I used to I used to talk about Archie office. I said, right. it's really simple to use, but it's really powerful. So can I can I rent it from you and put it in our booth? And he's like, yeah, why not? Um, and I said, and remember, by the way, I'm, I'm a poor architect. And he <laughs> says, well, I'm from San Francisco, and here you're referred to as a software business. And, and actually what he ended up doing was he said, you can have the car for free. Just let me hang out at your booth so I could talk to people about it and give me any of the swag that you guys give out. Right? Not a bad deal. <laughs> so we had this fantastic bug, and everybody came by the booth. Yeah. to see this, uh, this, this thing. We sent out some promotional stuff to tell people there was this cool car in our booth. And, but I wasn't there. I was, you know, half the time I was away. So it turned out that uh, the CEO of one of our competitors had been coming by and wanting to meet with me, and I was not available. And I didn't get to talk to him until after I returned to Chicago. And so that would be Shafat Kazi, who's the CEO here of, of BQE Software. And so then there, that was another accidental thing because he was, he was an architect as well. No, Shavat was originally a structural engineer. Okay, okay. But I think actually, this is the joke I have: is it, finally it gave him the opportunity to have a structural engineer own an architect, right? <laughs> <laughs> instead of working under an architect. But um, yeah, so so I called Shavat back when I got to Chicago, and before I called him, I actually called the management consultants. I said. This guy who owns one of our competitors' products is wanting to talk to me. What do you think that is? And they said, well, that's good news because they knew where we were going with our business. And they said, well, just call them up and have what they call the happy talk, which is just like what we're having. You know, let's just have a nice conversation. Right. And that's where he asked me about what we're doing in my story. And I got to hear about his story. And, um, you know, where he was going with, you know, his company. And at the end of that, um, he asked if we can sign an NDA, you know, a non-disclosure agreement and talk a little bit more. So we did that. And I also asked the consultants to be a part of that conversation. And that's really where they wanted to dig a little deeper into what we're doing. And that and, happened at that convention where you get, you know, you, you gave everything in three booths, you were going to decide to close it up, and this this man calls. Well, yeah, I was. Ho I didn't think this was going to happen. I was really thinking that we would get a lot more traction and more people would be interested. Right, and right. Uh, we're trying to sell more product. Sell more product, you know. Yeah. In spite of a declining economy, I, I was you know going to go out with a bang. That's yeah. the way we do things, right? So so uh, uh, so we basically talked a lot more about what we thought about the business. We did not really share with them what our uh, ultimately, we we were going to running you know running out of time here. Uh, so about a few days later, um, he came back and he said, "I'd like to acquire the company." Is really what it was. Up until that, by the way, Mark, you know, my life was sheer hell. To be honest with you, um, it is so sad and tragic to have to shut down a business that you've yeah. invested a fortune in, right, and start all over again. It's it's from an ego standpoint, that's one thing, but I also had, at that point, we had seven guys that were working for our company, and those were, again, people that earned their livelihood through us, and then letting down our customers was, was 
probably the worst of it all, you know? So, so anyway, um, that deal happened in, uh, December of 2009, uh, BQE software, uh, acquired Archie office and engineer office and, you know, all of our assets and stuff. And I became, uh, uh, an employee at BQE Software. And yeah. so that's what brought me here to California, left Chicago. Ah, there you go. There you yeah. go. Because I was, I was waiting for that part of the story because you've well, been this in Chicago happen- all along. And- so for a very long time, as we were trying to wrap up these negotiations about the, the acquisition and everything, we were going to leave us, we were going to basically be a new office for BQE in Chicago. Um because we we had a, we have um, BQE Software has a lot of customers across the country. A lot are on the East Coast. I've just just from the sheer numbers of architects and engineers and you know business professionals, and so supporting them on the East Coast from a West Coast time stamp uh, time uh, difference is, is was a little more difficult. So they yeah. said, hey, if we're in the Midwest, we're going to be good. So we can can we can move more of our support department into the Chicago area. But it wasn't until about a month before the closing. That they Shavat said, we want you in L.A. So was yeah. that another big decision you had to make? I mean, your whole life was there. Yeah, my wife and I lived in in in. Well, actually, we don't. When we when we left to go full time into software, we said, "Wow, we can live anywhere." As an architect, you have your network, your community, your right. your you know, and and it's certainly with the kind of work I was doing. So you don't want to leave where you are. But when when it was software. My wife and I said, well, we could move. Where should we move? So we started looking around. We were looking at Seattle and Portland and North Carolina and Boulder. But we, we looked at San Francisco, but we never looked at L.A. It was like not on the top 20 list. <laughs> Who wants to be in L.A.? La La Land, right? So so uh, it turned out where we were living after we did all this investigation. And there's some websites where you can compare, you know, cost of living and quality of life and schools and all those things. And we had two young children and it says, we should just stay where we are. It's, you know, raise the family here. It's the best place. How are we on time, by the way? We're good. Know. We're good. Okay. So, 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 uh, he suggests, he didn't suggest, he said, we'd like you to be here in LA and it's important that you be here. So I mentioned that to my wife and that was the year of the worst winter uh, that Chicago had at that point. And I was um, traveling a lot and she was using the snow plow. We had a very long driveway and she didn't even take a half a breath. She said, sure. So <laughs> done, <laughs> sold. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you know, my daughter was going to enter ninth grade. That's a good transition period. Unfortunately for my son who was entering 11th grade, he would have been, you know, so they stayed in Chicago till the end of the school year. And then they all moved out in June of 2010. And, uh, that's, uh, we, we did the move, but that, yeah, you're right. But again, nothing planned about that. That just right. was, we think we need to be here in LA. So where are, where are you now? You, you moved there in 2010. Um, right. So we last we, seven we, years, we moved to a, a little beach town called Redondo Beach, uh, which was great. We found a mid-century modern house, which was difficult to find in California. This part has horrible. It, you know, I think because you live in such a great climate and the views are so beautiful, they just build garbage. People will pay anything for for junk. So but we did find a, uh, a mid-century modern house and we leased it for a couple of years while we tried to figure out where to live because it's really huge. L.A. Um, we live today in an area called Playa Vista, which is where Howard Hughes's airfield used to be, oh, uh, right cool. near the Spruce Goose airplane yeah. hangar. It's a uh, completely, completely redeveloped sort of new urbanism. 
And now that we're empty nesters, uh, we're, it's a bit more urban ex- experience for us. But I, lo- I love L.A. now. But it's funny how it wasn't even on our radar. And so what's, what's the future look like? Where, where you, uh, obviously, you're, you moved to creative director three years ago, 2014? Yeah, I started as, you know, I don't believe in titles, you know, but I yeah. guess you need a title. It, it's really meaningless. Um, uh, what I actually do here, I do a lot of things. I kind of dabble in a lot of things. I think that's one of the great things about architects is I think from our training and our ability to look at lots of things and bring them together, that's kind of what my role is here. So uh, one of the things that we knew we wanted to do was really do best of breed of both of our products. So BQE Software had a uh, flagship product called BillQuick that is now in its 22nd year. And Archie Office is now in its um, 13th year. But they are quite different. And um, what we said is, uh, let's get the best of breed from both of those and build something. So uh, I can't tell you too much about yeah. what's going on here, but um, th- there's um, a big announcement that's coming down the pike. Um, we're in a beta program right now with a good number of our customers of something really phenomenally new and exciting, which I'm not allowed to talk about, but uh, it's really the whole reason this even happened. It's yeah. now seven years since since I joined the company, and it's taken that long to get us to to this. But we, So basically for the past three years, We've been working on something really new. Well, that's exciting. A, when when you're ready to uh, to announce it to small firms, let me know. Yeah, you'll <laughs> be you'll be the first to know. Because I'd love to have you come back and uh, and talk about it here and, yeah. and sort of uh, not only announce it but but talk about the story and oh, thank re- you. Yeah. the rest of the story. So it's uh, it would be very 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 interesting. That's a great story. Um, I, I I find architect stories so interesting and someone who. Uh, went from an architecture office to building software, always, and still an architect, fully, you know, in, right? You're still, still, I still consider you an architect. You know? I call it a recovering architect. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, you know, I think once you're an architect, you're always an architect, and you don't have to design buildings to be an architect. Um, but uh, very inspiring story. I appreciate you for sharing your, uh, your story here today. My pleasure. I enjoyed, I enjoyed talking to you about it. Good. I hope the listeners didn't mind it. But no, yeah. I think it's I. You know, I, I think most of us know who Archeoffice is. Uh, they certainly do now that you're uh, a sponsor. Um, but I. But I. Uh, it's very interesting to me because I didn't know that story. It's very interesting for me to learn the story. You know of how it happened. Uh, it, I think it's inspiring for those architects who have similar ideas. You know, mm-hmm. I have this idea that I can solve this problem and maybe it's software, maybe it's a physical product. How do I do that? Should I do that? You know, should I overcome the fear of doing that? Um, lots and lots of lessons in that story. So I appreciate you mm-hmm. uh, for, for being honest and open about it. Yeah, I, I, for years I didn't talk about the hardships. Um, I've come, as it's gotten farther away, to be able to, because I think it's important that people know that it's not always, you know, a rosy, you know, experience. That there are going to be these difficult times. Yeah, you know, but I also think that uh, keep it. You know, people look at businesses sometimes as a business opportunity. They look out there, and they say, "There's an opportunity. I'll fill it." But I think as architects, um, I think we're uniquely skilled at certain things. And it is for me, I have a problem. Can I solve my problem? And then you'll find out that there's other people 
who have that very same problem. Your problem isn't really unique. And uh, right now I'm working on a project as well uh, for a particular problem I have that's actually not even related to architecture. Uh, but I was working on it and I happened to share it with one of our software developers here who bought into it instantly and he could see, <laughs> oh my God, you know? And so it's, I'm, I'm not trying to see a problem out there. I see a problem that I need help yeah, with. Yeah. And, yeah. That's a great lesson. And I'm looking forward to hearing that story as well. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. The, I don't think uh, it'll be in, 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 interesting to your listeners, though. It's not an architectural thing. Oh, I don't know. I, I think I think there are a lot of I, I, certainly would be interesting to me. Um, and I think there are a lot of listeners who uh, want to hear the the other side of who, who architects are. Yeah. yeah. I actually just we just started a new series called The Entrepreneur Architect, and it's about interviewing architects uh, and ans asking them the same questions every every uh, architect that we have on that series, we ask that same series of questions. Uh, and, and many of them have very, very unique stories that are very different and then, and not related to architecture that we're learning. So it's, uh, it's yeah. great. There's so many more opportunities today for people to do things outside the traditional practice of architecture. Yeah. It is because the education really strengths, stresses design and, you know, the traditional architect role. It's hard for a lot of them to leave and then think that they can be successful outside of that traditional practice. But right. kudos right. to those people who can make that break. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the website is bqe.com. Uh, Facebook, your facebook.com slash bqe software. Uh, and you're active on Twitter as Stephen Burns. Um, before I wrap up, Stephen, I'm going to surprise you. I keep surprising my guests with this question, and I, I should prepare you. It's easy. It's easy. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. It's, it's what, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? And I know that that's it's going to be an easy one for you, but, but it's the intent is something that they can execute relatively simply and see a short term, uh, result. Wow. That's not as easy as you think. So you're telling me when you ask people this question, they go, Oh, I know the answer. Well, to that. I usually prepare people, so I'm springing. Oh, <laughs> so well, I'm I, I apologize. That you didn't decide to <laughs> give me that, but that, I, I guess that's okay. Uh, because I, I can't presume what any individual firm has on their um, where they want to go with their firm, because you know some firms, you know, they're interested in, you know, environmental issues. Other, you know, so I what, what I would what I actually would say is because. I've been um, a prisoner of this before, and it, it prevents you from really doing things that you should be doing, which is stop with your email, okay? Uh, be, and, you know, don't open your email until maybe, you know, two in the afternoon. Uh, because if your morning starts by looking at your email, you, you've lost control of what you wanted to do. Like if you go to bed at night and say, you know, tomorrow morning I'm gonna be, you know, here's my checklist of things I want to take care of. But you open up your mail, it it puts other. You're going to have to put out some fires that you hadn't anticipated, and all of those things that you want to do keep being put on the checklist for tomorrow or the day after, and they get pushed off. Uh, you letting you're letting other people control your life, and the beauty of email is really, if there isn't beauty, is the asynchronous kind of communication. So it would be stop listening uh, to things that uh, take you away from what you were going to do, whether it is, you know, um, 
you know, getting, you know, more education in a certain area that you think you need to grow your business in or, or whatever that business opportunity is. I, I don't want to even presume I can guess what that business opportunity is. But the thing that impedes that from happening is something that I think we've become pretty much addicted to. Yeah. That, that's a great answer. That's that's something no one has asked answered before, and I think it's a it's a fabulous suggestion. I could, so. How about eat more kale, <laughs> or or eat more or, kale. or eat more kale? Both <laughs> of those one. are good. Pick one, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, thank you very much for uh, for sharing your story and your knowledge here today on Entree Architect Podcast. Great, thank you very much, Mark, for the opportunity. I guess I'll see you in a couple weeks in Orlando. If you liked what we shared here today, complete show notes and a direct link to download this very special, unique, one-of-a-kind episode of Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. You can find that at entrearchitect.com slash episode 167. Hey, you know what? Take that link right now, entrearchitect.com slash episode 167. Type that right into your email right now and share that link with somebody that you think might benefit from the knowledge that we hear we shared here today the inspiration and the story and, and everything that we share here every week. I want to, I want at least one person that you know, who doesn't know about entrepreneur architect and entree architect and entree architect.com and the entree architect podcast and the entree architect newsletter and the blog, somebody out there that, you know, doesn't know we exist. So take that podcast episode, entrearchitect.com slash episode 167 and go share it with somebody that you think might benefit from what we're doing here at Entree Architect. Hey, and then don't forget to visit the website to learn more about Entree Architect Academy, our private online membership program that's built for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. Visit the homepage today at entrearchitect.com. My name is Mark R. LePage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges. 
demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.